0: Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com.
1: Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is season eight of our podcast, As you know by now, we're transitioning to a seasonal format. This is episode number 73 of our entire series, so that makes it really easy to find the details for this show by just going to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 73. Just like the climate, we plan to have four seasons scheduled throughout the year, and we're fully booked here for season eight, and season nine, which will air in quarter one 2019, is already booking up. This new schedule allows us to take on the topics and issues we want to address on this program and also allows the flexibility we need to incorporate some special issues and content that really serves you, our community, in the best way possible. In this episode, we're talking about accelerators. Accelerators first entered the startup scene relatively recently in about 2005. And in the last five or six years or so, we've seen a big increase in the number of accelerators and programs that focus on the unique needs of entrepreneurs who are working to create solutions for the healthcare sector. We know, of course, that things operate differently in healthcare. Governments, universities, corporations, investors, and even hospital systems have created special programs to provide the resources, access, and environment to help startups create the products and services that are changing the face of healthcare. We actually have a blog post we did last summer about some of the programs that are available to help. You can go to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash accelerators to find that post there are several listed on that page and we also have other episodes of this podcast where we speak to some of the other leaders from these programs. We've done podcasts with Eugene Borakovich from Bear G4A, Fred Tony at Launchpad Digital Health, and Christian Seal from Startup Bootcamp. We'll have all those references and podcasts linked in the show notes of this episode. So again, you can get to it by going to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 73. There's a lot of knowledge transfer that happens in these intense accelerator programs, and it's a great way to really accelerate the development of the ideas and solutions that will make the biggest impact in healthcare. And as we'll hear about on this program, sometimes it also accelerates failure so that entrepreneurs and investors can save valuable time and resources and apply their talents to other solutions. With me today is Ann Wellington. She's the managing director of a very successful and probably one of the best known accelerator programs. She's been involved with the Techstar Cedar Cedars-Sinai Accelerator in Los Angeles since March 2016, and she's here to share some of their experiences as a healthcare provider working at the leading bleeding edge of health innovation. Anne was appointed managing director in May 2018, and she's going to talk about some of the changes underway at Cedars-Sinai and the opportunities coming up in the months ahead. Ann, thanks for joining me, and welcome to the program.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
1: And you lead the Accelerator program there at Cedars-Sinai. Let's start off by just explaining a little bit more about your organization.
0: Absolutely. So Cedars-Sinai, as most people know, is a large academic medical center in Los Angeles. We are um, in West Hollywood. And the reputation is a little bit different than the reality. Certainly with our location being where it is, we do see a fair share of names you might recognize. But We also are one of the largest Medicare and Medi-Cal providers in the state, and we do a lot of research and have uh, medical students cycling through. And so in many ways, I think it's an interesting organization to be at because of the breadth of care that is practiced here. Um, Our main medical center, we have a large 886-bed Hospital. We also recently um, acquired another hospital, the Marina Del Rey Hospital, and have a affiliation with a hospital in Torrance as well. So we are adding a few additional um, inpatient facilities to the organization, and we have ambulatory clinics all over Los Angeles. So it's really an organization that has a pretty broad scope.
1: It certainly is an organization that's known to our show here. We've had Brennan Spiegel come on and talk about some of the work that he's leading with virtual reality. Uh, he came on in episode 58. And we also have one of the ambassadors in our ambassador program who is there at uh, Cedar sinai Samir Barry is trained as a GI surgeon there. And he reached out to our program and joined us as an advocate and ambassador for digital health. And now we welcome you to this program to be able to talk about some of the things that you're working on there from the accelerator perspective. So there's been a successful accelerator program there for several years. Tell me about the genesis of the program. How did it all start?
0: You know, a few years back, I think what we realized at CEDARS was that we were already doing a lot of this work around wanting to partner with startups and bring in really great innovation into the health system. And we realized that there were some opportunities to maybe make that a little bit more structured, that it can be really challenging for a large health system to work with a really new and cutting edge startup. And so we thought, okay, we should have an accelerator program, and really sort of bring them in and have a centralized place to provide additional support where we're working with these companies. And so there was that idea, and I think, and that was in 2015, and we thought, okay, what's what's sort of step one of that? And pretty quickly realized... Apart from having the idea, we weren't sure what step one was. And so that was when we got in contact with Techstars that, of course, has run accelerator programs all around the world in all sorts of different areas and different industries and really brought them in as an operational partner to bring in their expertise, their playbook to help us figure out, okay, how do we attract really great companies, give them a really great experience and make sure that we're accomplishing what we want to in having these organizations work with the health system, hopefully to benefit both the companies and the health system and sort of the healthcare ecosystem as a whole.
1: I know you've just had a successful demo day with the fourth class of startups that have gone through the accelerator. How many companies have come through the program so far? And are there, or what are some of the standout ideas and solutions that have come through it so far?
0: You know, it's interesting. I think, so as you mentioned, our fourth class, we've had 37 companies go through the program to date. And so we've really gotten a broad spectrum of companies across all our classes and in the last class. And one of the things I like about working with all of these different companies is that within sort of the realm of digital health and healthcare IT, we get companies that are really across the spectrum from more healthcare IT tools that are back-end or back-office solutions to provider-facing tools to patient-facing tools, and so we really get to see that broad spectrum Within some of those categories, I would say some of the um, companies that I think are most interesting, sort of starting with that very infrastructure back-end type tools is we had a company called Digital Medical Tech that has created an asset tracking solution using Bluetooth beacons. And we have looked at and implemented and tried out at Cedars-Sinai a variety of different asset tracking and location tracking, sort of those real-time location system tools that tend to be very implementation heavy and hardware heavy. And so bringing in a company that is working on uh, assessing and um, addressing some of those issues around keeping track of all of our medical stuff, all of our devices, um, using Bluetooth that allows it to be a much easier and lighter implementation is something that resonated with us at Cedars. And as we talked to other organizations, said they said, yeah, this is a really cool concept because it's easy to sort of get up and running in a little bit lighter weight way. And so that's some technology that we'll be piloting here. They've got pilots at USC as well. And so we're excited about the potential for that.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to make sure we talk about your approach to pilots because I know that you've got uh, a a perspective on pilots that's going to be music to the ears to a lot of the startups that are listening to this uh to this episode. But since Cedar Sinai is first and foremost a healthcare provider, are there some standout ideas or maybe even some some understanding that you've gained through having access to the ideas and the innovations being developed at the accelerator?
0: I think we're really recognizing along with a lot of other folks in the industry, that we need to use the technology that we've implemented in the form of the EMRs and all sorts of other technology solutions that we've put in place, use that to lighten the load that we're asking from our providers and our physicians. And so rather than sort of shifting more documentation requirements and more um, need to look at all sort of different parts of the system, instead flipping that around and saying, how can we use technology to actually make things easier? And so we had a company called Kela Health that's working on using machine learning and artificial intelligence to assess surgical risk for patients and identify patients that will potentially have complications and then recommend interventions that can help prevent that so that they can give that feedback to providers and say, hey, based on all of this data that we've collected in the EMR and all of this information that we can look at, here's a sort of nice, succinct recommendation about what you could choose to do with this patient. Um, And I think that, to me, Really represents something that is so important about technology and providers working together that we let the computer do what computers are good at, which is uh, aggregating information, assessing information, looking at huge volumes of data, and then allowing providers to do what they have been trained to do and review those recommendations, make an assessment for an individual patient, and that's how we can kind of get the best possible care, using both of those to their maximum potential. So I think Kela Health is another one that we were excited to have present and excited to see where they go in the future.
1: Great. So you've mentioned Kela Health. You've talked about digital medical tech. Any other standout solutions that you want to mention? I'm sure there are plenty with the 37 companies that have come through over the years. But is there one other that you'd like to mention here that our listeners should be aware of?
0: One other that I would mention that I think we heard a lot of excitement about from providers is a company called Sopris, and they're using uh, NLP and voice recognition to help create documentation, and that is an area of great interest for our providers to, again, sort of lessen that burden, that documentation burden, and really use technology to help them be more
1: efficient. Great. So all those companies were in your last class. Again, they're Sopras Health, Digital Medical Tech, and Kila Health. Those will all be linked in our show notes. So go to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash seventy three to grab links to all those companies. And I'll also make sure that we include links to all the other companies from this last class in the show notes for this episode as well. Those companies sound like they're beginning their own great success stories, but we know that far more startups fail than succeed. We really need to learn from those failures. Have you had companies start the program, but then actually not make it all the way through?
0: So um, interestingly, we had nine companies uh, start this class. One of those companies during the class through conversations with the mentors that we connect them with and learning about some of the future development that some of the large EMR players are working on um, actually came to the conclusion that their product wasn't viable and um, the company was not active at the end of the class. And it can be challenging, of course, for the folks involved in that company when that happens, and it's a difficult decision. From our perspective as an accelerator program, we actually in some ways see that as something of a success that we were able to help them figure out much more quickly that this is something that might not be viable. Whereas, you know, they could have spent a year, two years, three years, trying to make this work, not quite sure why it wasn't working, and eventually coming to the same conclusion. So we had um, nine companies start the class, eight present on demo day.
1: Now, I imagine that doesn't happen very often in the course of a three-month program, but how about your overall success rate of companies? Can you share any metrics there?
0: So this was the first time that we had a company... um, Come to that conclusion so quickly during the program, and overall, we have a pretty good um, success rate. About eighty between eighty and eighty-five percent of the companies that have gone through the program overall are still active. We've certainly seen a lot of pivots during the program and following the program, and there's a spectrum there. Of you know, we have companies that come in with an idea and they need to just calibrate it five or ten percent. To get to where they need to be. We have other companies that have come in and needed to make a much more significant shift, either in the product they're developing or the market they're going after. And so um, I think this one was one that we haven't seen companies sort of not um, make that decision before the end of the program, but we've seen lots and lots of companies that have changed and shifted. And some companies that unfortunately have gone through the program And not found traction. But as I said, for the most part, especially if you look at sort of overall startup ratios where it's about a one in 10 chance of success, having about 80% that are still active and still growing, we consider that pretty successful.
1: Now, having this sort of accelerator program working collaboratively with the healthcare provider the size of Cedar sinai can really be a difficult challenge. I mean, they're obviously very disproportionately sized and very different uh, timescales and, and motivators that they're working on. Is the accelerator program run very separately to the hospital or is it somehow integrated and viewed as a, a key part of the mission and work of the hospital itself?
0: it's It's really well integrated, and I think we've seen sort of other accelerator and innovation type programs develop at other health systems. And certainly, you know it's great that companies can get support from a variety of places. What we've heard from companies is that one of the reasons they find our program most exciting is that level of integration that we will get them connected to the relevant folks at the health system. And so I see my role and the role of the accelerator not necessarily as to be the people giving the feedback, though certainly we do a lot of sort of coaching of the companies, but really to be a conduit to stakeholders at the health system, end users at the health system who can give that feedback. Um, One of the most important things that I think is important for companies to understand, especially ones who maybe are a little bit newer to healthcare or haven't done sort of enterprise healthcare sales is that oftentimes the folks that are their end users are not the ones making the purchase decisions about whether or not to move forward with the solutions that they're creating. And so they might come in and say, you know, we've talked to so many doctors or we've talked to so many nurses and all of them say a tool like ours is exactly what they need, but we're not getting sales and we can't figure out why that is. And so we can connect them to not just the end users, but the people a little bit up the chain who would say, you know, I might not be using your product day to day, but here's how I look at products like this and make a decision about whether or not this is something that we should purchase. And that kind of insight I think is so critical to early stage companies to understand there's a lot of stakeholders in health systems that are evaluating products and the end users are certainly an important group in that sort of spectrum but it's not the only, they're not the only decision makers
1: We're speaking with Ann Wellington, the managing director of Cedar Sinai Accelerator. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the key lessons and insights to help get startups and health providers working collaboratively. And Ann is going to share some news about the renewed direction of the accelerator program there at Cedar Sinai and how startups can benefit from being a part of it. We'll do that right after a word from our sponsor. Stick around, you won't want to miss what's coming on the other side. Okay, we're back and we're speaking with Ann Wellington, the Managing Director of the Accelerator at Cedar sinai So, Ann, we were just talking about how startups and large academic medical centers can be difficult to try to fit together. You've managed to do that successfully there at Cedar sinai So I want to talk about some of the challenges you've experienced and how you've overcome them as you've integrated the startups in the Accelerator program with the large provider and academic organization. What can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, you know, I I mentioned earlier that when we were looking at starting an accelerator program, part of it was, you know, we wanted to work with these companies, and it wasn't always the easiest fit. And one of the things I'll mention about that that I think is so important for health systems and entrepreneurs to understand is that large academic medical centers and startups operate on such different timescales as it's almost like... um, like human years versus dog years. Like When we think about, oh, we're going to schedule a meeting here at our large academic medical center, if that's two or three months out because we need to get a lot of people together, that's pretty standard in terms of, okay, here's when we can get this on the calendar. In startup time, two or three months out is a really long time. And it can be really challenging for them to feel like, we're not getting any traction because it takes two months to even get a meeting on the calendar. And so one of the things that we try to do here in the program is sort of make sure that both sides are aware. You know, we talk with the companies and say, Hey, you know, sometimes it just takes a while. Some don't read too much into it. It might take some time to get calendars on the books But then the role of our program here is also that we can go back to those folks at the hospital and say, hey, you know, it's really critical. They're moving really quickly. We can't wait two or three months. Let's figure out what we can do to move things a little bit faster um, and sort of operate in a little bit of a middle ground in terms of of timescales.
1: Well, that certainly helps. I can see why that would make a big difference for the startups to have that sort of advocacy within the provider organization to try to drive people uh, to the discussion table a little bit sooner. Uh, But another thing that I know that you're involved with, as I mentioned it on the first half of the program, was that you have a very interesting approach towards pilots. What can you tell us about that?
0: Something we've had an opportunity to do is a lot of pilots. And so as these companies come through, not every single company that's part of the program does a pilot with us, but uh, many of them do. And so we've had an opportunity to sort of figure out what are some best practices around piloting new technology. And a few of those that I would share, one that we have sort of settled on as a best practice is that we don't do free pilots. Um, it can seem a little counterintuitive when a company comes in and says, "Hey, you know, we'd like to, we'd like you to try our product and we'd like you to just try it for free so that we can move quicker to get it implemented." Um, that is something that over time we've found seems on the surface like a great idea like, "Oh, we're just going to try it out." What can happen when you do the the sort of free pilot model is we've done a pilot, we've spent 3 months trying something out, And now it's decision time, and we still have to address all of the same stuff that we would have had to address ahead of time in terms of now they would like, you know, now the company would like a contract, they'd like to get paid, we need to figure out who's paying for that, what budget that's coming from, all of that. And so what we've done by doing a free pilot is sort of kick the can down the road on figuring those things out and making those decisions, but there's still decisions that have to be made. And then we kind of often run into a little bit, uh, we get a little bit stuck at the end of the pilot, figuring out what the next steps are. So instead, what we've started to do is figure out how do we back that up and address a lot of those uh, issues at the beginning of the pilot. So really being clear about determining success metrics, determining exactly what happens if the pilot moves forward finding a little bit of budget to say hey we're at least going to cover some costs of this pilot even if it's not sort of that full license that we would pay for the entire solution figuring out you know where where would this money come from who is excited enough about this product that they will find a little space in their budget to bring it in and at least try it out and even though that makes the path to getting that pilot a little bit longer, we found that it makes the pilots much more successful and avoids the situation where the company has devoted a lot of time and energy to doing a free pilot. On our side, we've devoted IT resources and had end users try something new, learn a new workflow, only to realize that we don't exactly know where to go from here. And so I think being very deliberate about that upfront has helped us have more successful pilots and see that move more smoothly into potentially an enterprise license.
1: you know with those first two things you've just mentioned, it seems like there's a bit of a disconnect because on the one hand, you say you try to speed things up and and advocate on behalf of the startups to try to to speed up the access to the hospital. But then, on the other hand, you just described that for these pilot programs, you try to get a lot of understanding and and uh, and visibility of what the priorities and the stakeholders and the outcomes are, which sound great. But it really doesn't sound like uh, <laughs> that sort of a decision making and understanding and analysis really lends itself to accelerating the timeline. How does that work? how do you how do you manage to do both those things?
0: You know, there's, uh, I I used to, I'm going to go off on a slight tangent here. I promise it has a point. I used to ride horses and I used to work with this like grizzled old horse trainer named John Bonine, who was, he had all this like wisdom that he would, and it was always life wisdom. And one of the things that he would always say is if you take the time it takes, it takes less time. And so, you know, it was when we were working with horses, it was, you know, you got to be patient laying that groundwork because once you've done that, the rest will come quicker. And so I think sort of the the two points of we're trying to accelerate but we're also trying to be deliberative really tie into that of what we have found is when we take the time up front to have startups engaged in shadowing end users, really understanding the problem, really diving into that, and then thinking about what does this pilot look like? What are the success metrics? Who are the stakeholders? It feels like it's taking a long time, but the benefit of laying that groundwork is that once we have done that, overall, we can start to move faster and start to uh, really not have those delays further down the line. So while it um, is more time invested up front, there's definitely benefits down the line where we're not 3 months, 6 months, 9 months into a project still sort of trying to figure out wh- why we're doing this and who's going to benefit and where we go from here.
1: And just listening to you describe these various things that are moving the needle for your organization and for the startups that are participating in the accelerator, it seems to me there must be something bigger at stake here or bigger that's that's happening in terms of culture change. You're actually you're really driving this integration within your provider organization and making this a priority getting their buy-in getting their involvement getting their interest when are you how are you doing that and and at what stage are providers and decision makers engaging with these startups and and setting these priorities and 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 working collaboratively with them how does that how does that really kick off
0: oh absolutely and i think a lot of it actually starts when we look at the accelerator program it starts in the selection process so we had about 400 companies apply for our last class. And with our accelerator staff, we narrow that down a little bit, but then bring about 50 companies that we think are really promising to our screening committee that's made up entirely of stakeholders and executives from the hospital. And we bring the companies to them to interview and they do um, sort of a Shark Tank style pitch and they answer questions. And what we're really looking for from those stakeholders at that point is them to say not just oh sure it would be okay i guess if you brought in this company that's in my area but for them to say i want that company in the program i'd like to work with them further i, I will devote some time to mentoring and engaging with them during the program and that's sort of a, a um, process that we follow to make certain that at least there's some initial interest And, you know, at that point in that selection process, they don't have to uh, commit to, yes, we'll do a pilot. Yes, we'll sign a license. We'll work with them long term. But they at least need to have a level of interest to say, I want them, I want to get to know them better. I want to help them develop that product and see if this is something that could work here for the health system.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I want to come on to the details of the the program that you're running and how people can progress through that application process. But before we do that, can we just have one more key lesson or learning that you've had through developing this accelerated program at Cedar sinai
0: Sure. I think that, um, and this goes back to, I mentioned a little bit earlier, one of the things we always have companies do is try and shadow their end users. And really what this gets to is a very deep understanding of the problem that you're solving. And I think one of the things we've seen from the most successful companies that we work with is not just knowing the solution, not just knowing what they've built, but knowing what's the problem that is being addressed here. And we've seen some really successful entrepreneurs who have come from sort of being on the other side of the coin where this was a problem that they dealt with day to day. Um, we had a company in our last class called Invio that was working on digitizing or is working on digitizing research records. And the CEO of that company, Dima Papa, was a research coordinator before he started the company. And so he very deeply understood the challenges of having lots of research records on paper. And so that's a great way to approach it for entrepreneurs who um, maybe haven't lived it, it becomes even more imperative that they really understand the problem that they're solving and can articulate it. Um, we have seen a number of companies apply who they've got a really cool solution and they've come up with an idea that um, is a really neat and innovative concept. But when we say okay, you know what's the problem? What's the magnitude of the problem? What sort of health system typically faces this challenge? they don't know that as well. And so I think having that deep understanding really is critical to having a successful company.
1: I agree entirely with that. I could not say it better myself. Great startups and all great innovators really fall in love with the problem. They don't fall in love with their solution. They fall in love with the problem, and by doing that it enables you to see and remain open to better ways of solving it. Now, and the accelerator there at Cedar Sinai has been going since 2015. You've had four classes come through. 37 companies in total. What's on the horizon? What changes are you making to continue to build on the success you've had so far?
0: Well, it's really exciting. I think one of the things I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast was when we were working to get this off the ground, we engaged with Techstars as our operational partner. And over the course of the last four classes, really feel like we have built a great program. And we're very grateful to Techstars for kind of leading the way on that. Um, This class that we just wrapped up, Uh, The fourth one is actually our last with Techstars as our operational partner. And so we feel like we're at a point where we're ready to leave the nest and run the program sort of in-house at Cedars. And what we feel like that's going to give us an opportunity to do is really build on this great foundation that we've built in order to make certain that the program is supporting healthcare entrepreneurs as well as possible And some of the things we have talked about experimenting with are potentially doing either shorter programs, longer programs. Our our three-month program currently is on site in Los Angeles. We feel like that program will always be sort of the core of the accelerator, but we want to have that flexibility to work with the companies that we've engaged with and find out what would be most helpful to them on their journey Uh, Because the timelines tend to be so long in healthcare, three months is a great time to accelerate and to uh, start that process, but we know we need some additional flexibility to continue to support them. So in bringing it in-house and continuing to evolve the program, we're hopeful that we'll continue to attract sort of those top-tier companies that we've had the opportunity to work with so far and really continue to have sort of this, what we consider kind of this gold standard program for partnering with health systems and being part of a healthcare accelerator.
1: That sounds terrific. Congratulations on the continued success and evolution of the program as you've developed this uh, expertise within Cedar sinai Uh, You'll continue to provide capital to the companies you accept in the program, right? And uh, it lasts three months there in your Los Angeles location. I know you have a beautiful facility there adjacent to the hospital. Where should people go to find out more about the program and when should they apply?
0: Sure. So we have applications open now for our next class. That class will be starting at the end of May, 2019. And we, um, the, our website, csaccelerator.com. You can go there, learn lots more about the program and have access to the application from there. The online application Um, We ask some questions about the company, look for a demo video, look for a little bit of information about the founders, and that online application is due February 15th, Um, and then we'll be working through February, March, and into April to go through that selection process um, with some sort of follow-up interviews in order to make our selections for our fifth class.
1: All right, so csaccelerator.com. CS is in Sinaiaccelerator.com. csaccelerator.com. I see on your page you have some FAQs about the types of companies you're looking for and other details about the program. We'll have a link to that page and a lot of other information on the show notes for this episode. So if you are a startup and you're listening to this before February 15th, 2019, get online, get your application in, and maybe we'll be talking about your startup the next time Ann comes on the program. And again, thank you so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. I wish you a lot of luck recruiting your uh, next class, your fifth class in the Cedar Sinai Accelerator. And I hope you come back and tell us about your continued success.
0: Thanks so much. It was great to chat.
1: And that, my friends, was Anne Wellington, the managing director of Cedar Sinai Accelerator from Los Angeles, California. I love that interview. Not only did I love what she had to say and what she shared with us about their experience growing that accelerator within a a huge hospital provider and academic medical center, but Anne was also completely hooked up with the right recording gear to sound really great. If you're planning to be a guest on this show and you're wondering why I insist you buy a decent mic... You just heard the reason why. Anne sounded like she was in the studio with me. And in case you're wondering, that was, I believe, a Blue Yeti microphone that she was on. Uh, you can get a link to that on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash guest info. You can also get all the links and notes from our discussion by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 73. While you're there on the website, you can subscribe to our newsletter and find the links to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoy this program and actually Even if you don't enjoy this program, if there's something you think we can do better or something you'd like us to do to add even more value, I'd love to hear from you and get your direct feedback. You can email me at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or tweet me on the show handle at dhealthtoday. You can also tweet me directly at healthtechdan. There are plenty of ways you can show your support for what we're doing here. You can share the website or podcast link with your friends and colleagues. You can leave a review on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast fix. And of course, we're always on the lookout for new media partners, sponsors, and great guests who can share their insights with our learned audience. You can reach out to me directly about any of those things as well. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of the Digital Health Today community. I'll speak with you soon in the next episode of Season 8. And until next time, keep on innovating.